If you recall from last week, we were um, in the book of Acts, and my good friend Chris set the stage for the new series, and one of the things he mentioned was that, um, that the book of Acts, we see this unstoppable, powerful movement of God to save his people. And he said that God moves through those who experience Jesus and are led by his spirit. And today we get the pleasure of taking a deeper look at the first time God came and uh, sent his spirit to his people. And we see the beginning of how that unstoppable power will flow and work through his people. Some of you may know my story, um, but I didn't grow up in church. My parents were uh, raised in both strict, uh, some strict religious homes, and I think they decided that early on in raising me, they weren't going to force religion on me, but rather they would kind of let my brother and I make those decisions for ourselves. And as you could probably imagine, uh, in my teenage years, my heart began to be drawn and pulled after the desires of the world, things like experimentation and pleasure, comfort, status, success, and I lacked a lot of the virtues uh, like obedience and moderation. And I really grew pretty skeptical of religion and all things church because those things posed a threat to, to my way of life and how I wanted to live my life. But by God's grace, in, in college, I met a, uh, a little girl named Stephanie and uh, she, my future wife. And though at the time she wasn't following Jesus, uh, she would be the one to eventually bring me into church um, because she knew, she knew God and knew Jesus and, and wanted me to experience that as well. And it was this church, Christ Community Church, that, uh, that I became a believer in Christ in 2013. And I was baptized here, thank you, I was baptized here in 2014. And um, I struggled with questions and doubts here Uh, And I was very gently shepherded by the pastors of this church through those questions and doubts. And um, God began to teach me who he is, who I am, began to call me uh, to serve, began serving on road crew and kids, and uh, got the opportunity to lead a community group. And last year, I had the opportunity um, to preach two different sermons at Underover Fellowship, one of our ministry partners in downtown Conroe. Two sermons, no seminary degree, no formal training. So I hope that with that background, you can recognize my authority and power as a seasoned preacher and biblical scholar. Now, today I stand before you not on my own authority, but solely that of the Holy Spirit working through me. If anything I say this morning resonates with you, rest assured it's not because of my spiritual knowledge or prowess but the work of God moving in your heart. It's God calling you to himself. That said, ready to dive in. If you will turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in your seat nearby, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. When we left off last week in chapter 1, the followers of Jesus had been gathered in Jerusalem. They had seen Jesus Not too recently, they had seen him tortured and crucified, saw him resurrected from the dead, and then he began uh, walking with them. Uh, He was physically with them. He was eating, he was drinking, he was teaching them for 40 days. And in Acts 1, we see him give 
the disciples his final instructions, telling them that he would send the power of the Holy Spirit and that they would be his witnesses to the end of the earth. And then he gloriously ascended to heaven, to the seat of power, to return to his father's side. Now, what I want to remind you as we get into the, uh, chapter 2 today is that the book of Acts is written as a historical account. It's written from the point of view of eyewitnesses, from the people who were there, from the people who actually experienced these events. And I want to focus on that word experience this morning, because here's the main point of today's passage. We, you, me, your friend, your neighbor, all mankind, we get to experience God, the true, living, almighty God, and participate in his mission through the power of his Holy Spirit within us. We can experience God and participate in his mission through the power of the Holy Spirit within us. So to that end, let's try and experience these events this morning. Let's put yourself in the story. Try and feel what it would be like for you to be there, for you to experience firsthand these events. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel? What is God telling you? So please read along with me in chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. The first thing we see in this passage is the mysterious and miraculous power of the Holy Spirit is given to God's people. The mysterious power of the Holy Spirit. I think it's safe to say that the Holy Spirit is the most mysterious member of the Christian Trinity. Though all three can be misunderstood, the Holy Spirit seems to have the most confusion surrounding him. Even the name is mysterious. You've got the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Some even call it the Holy Ghost, as if that doesn't add to the mystery. And I know you've got some, we've got some dads out there with your corny dad jokes, and so I've got to warn you with Halloween coming up, do not, I repeat, do not cut a bunch of holes in a white sheet, throw it over your head, and go as the Holy Ghost. Serious about that. 
But in all seriousness, there is some mystery to this uh, to the, here that we, I think is worth acknowledging. Let's look at the speaking in tongues. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You had people from every direction, from thousands of miles away, that spoke vastly different languages, all being able to hear perfectly and understand each other. I think in our modern context, it's easy to jump to, well, can we still speak in tongues today? And while that's a question worth considering at some point, I think it would be good to uh, just set that aside for now and simply focus on this one event. How would you react if you were there? People speaking in all different languages, Chinese, Japanese, and Spanish, and Arabic, and yet you hearing them in perfectly plain English. How would you react? We see several different reactions from the people. They were amazed. They were astonished. They were perplexed. Some were mocking, saying they were filled with wine. We're going to come back to those reactions in a bit, but in addition to the mystery, there's this miraculous nature to the Holy Spirit. Go back to verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Have any of you guys ever experienced a tornado or a hurricane hit? I grew up in Rockport on the Texas coast, and I remember one year we stayed, uh, we didn't evacuate, we stayed through a hurricane, and um, I remember vividly the sound of the wind against the windows and the walls of the house just rumbling. I mean, you could feel it. It was like a freight train running by. And we were inside the house, and the storm was outside. But this verse says the mighty rushing wind filled the inside of the house. Can you hear the deafening noise of the mighty wind? Can you feel it rushing past you? The miraculous wind of God. Look at verse 3. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Tongues of fire. The miraculous fire of God. In the Old Testament, fire was the visible manifestation of God. You saw Moses uh, see God through as a burning bush. You see God lead the Israelites at night by fire as a pillar of fire. God takes Elijah up in a chariot of fire. When these people saw God, they could only describe it as fire. And I think we take it uh, for granted now with the advent of electricity. But back then, fire was the only source of energy, of heat, of light. I imagine this room was already filled with candles, lamps, fireplaces. But those were nothing compared to the divine light. Can you see that blinding light illuminating the darkness? Can you feel the warmth and energy of fire burning? We see the mysterious and miraculous power of God. We see it given to God's people. Verse 4, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit entered and filled the hearts of these people. If you recall recall from last week, Jesus' parting words to his disciples were, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. 
This is really a reminder of what Jesus had already taught the disciples back in his earthly ministry. Back in John 14, we read about Jesus promising to send the Holy Spirit. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, comforter, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. This moment in Acts chapter 2 is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise to send the Holy Spirit to live within his people. The fire and wind in the previous verses are pretty miraculous. We can admit that, but those are still natural elements, right? Wind and fire. Maybe someone could try and explain that away through science. But what's most miraculous is the teaching that God gives his spirit and he lives within us. So those of you that have been around church for a while, this may not seem so strange to you, but think back to when you were first learning about the Bible or imagine someone first walking in here and receiving this message that the spirit of God, the God that created and sustains the entire universe, comes and lives within each one of us. Doesn't that seem strange? Unnatural? Miraculous? Sure is. And it's true. The miraculous and mysterious power of God is given to his people, and he lives within us. Now, going back to the reaction of the people who witnessed the event, they were amazed, perplexed, and some said they are filled with new wine. Let's be honest. Let's put ourselves there again. If you were there and this happened, or if it happened right here, right now in this room, rushing wind, burning fire above my head, would that be your reaction? Amazement? Would it be skepticism and doubt, dismissal? Mocking? And would you be missing the message from God? And what is that message? My second point today. The message of the Holy Spirit is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the coming of his kingdom. So admittedly, these crazy events occur. We wind and fire and people speaking in tongues. And then people start questioning or even accusing them of being crazy or drunk. And we see Peter stand up and deliver a message. Now you remember Peter, right? Just a couple of years ago, he was spending his days fishing and mending nets. And I don't know if you know any fishermen that that fish for a living, but it's not the most glorious job. My dad is a marine biologist, and I remember him coming home smelling like fish guts. You know, fishing is a dirty stinky job. And Peter was just a normal, average Joe doing an average job. And then he met Jesus, and he was captivated by him. He followed him for years, listening, learning, understanding that this was the Son of God. And as soon as we get some confidence in Peter, at Jesus' darkest hour, when he needs him the most, Peter falls asleep. And then Peter even denies Jesus. Peter fails Jesus. Yet it is Peter who Jesus chooses to give his 
first message, his first sermon. And Peter should be an inspiration to us all because no matter how many times or how big we fail Jesus, we can still be used by him for his mission. Not through our own power or will, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And being that this was the first recorded sermon after Jesus' death and resurrection, I'm just going to read it straight through. Okay, again, put yourself in the story. You're there, you're experiencing, witnessing these miraculous events, questioning, wondering, maybe doubting. Verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and he addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered by the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced, my flesh will also dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence." Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing God had sworn an oath to him that he would one day set his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. 
And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. What a sermon, right? I mean, if he had a mic, he would have just dropped it. I don't really need to add much because it had everything. It had Old Testament quotes of prophecies being fulfilled that very day with the coming of the Holy Spirit. It had descriptions of the majesty and the power of God. It had the good news, the gospel of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit helps us understand this message. He helps us understand who God is and who we are. He convicts us of our sin like fire and light. He illuminates the hard hearts and the darkness in our, in our hearts. The Holy Spirit reminds us of the free gift of grace that is Jesus, and that we are loved more than we could ever imagine. He reminds us that forgiveness and reconciliation are possible through faith in Christ. Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, preached the gospel in his first sermon, and 3,000 souls were saved. 3,000 souls were cut to the heart. 3,000 souls were moved towards God in confession and repentance. 3,000 souls accepted the free gift of grace for salvation from their sins. The powerful, unstoppable message of the Holy Spirit is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the coming of his kingdom. His kingdom. And what we see unfold in the next verses is the beginning of Christ's kingdom come to earth. The establishment of his community, of people, his church. Point number three, the Holy Spirit creates a community based on self-sacrificial love, empowered for his mission. The Holy Spirit creates a community based on self-sacrificial love, empowered for his mission. Look at verse 42 with me. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When this miraculous, sin-revealing, gospel-preaching, life-giving spirit, when he comes and he fills your heart, makes a home within your soul, you begin to conform to the image of Christ. You begin to live like he lived, 
a life of self-sacrifice. One of my favorite verses is 1 John 4, 19, and it's simple, it's easy to memorize, and it's gospel-centered. It says, we love because he first loved us. And we see that beautifully here in these verses. Awe came upon every soul, awe at the power and love of Christ. These believers rested in the truth of Christ's loving sacrifice and began to sacrifice for one another. They had all things in common. They sold what they didn't need, couldn't use, the excess, the fluff. And they distributed proceeds and gave to meet the needs of the people. They overflowed with generosity because they experienced the generous overflow of God's grace. And what was the result of this new community founded on self-sacrificial love? Verse 47 says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As we move through the book of Acts in the coming weeks, we'll see this statement as a kind of refrain, a chorus, a repeated result of God's unstoppable movement to save his people. This is his mission, to save souls, to bring them out of their selfish, sinful ways and to turn to God, to turn away from building kingdoms from themselves, for searching for glory for themselves, and give the glory back to God where it rightfully belongs. The Holy Spirit within you empowers you for his mission. And you may say, well, what does that look like for me? Will I speak in tongues and declare the mighty works of God? Will I preach a sermon and save 3,000 souls? Will I sell all my possessions and give it away to the needy? Maybe. Maybe not. But maybe God is putting one name in your heart. Maybe just one person to build a relationship with. One person to tell about the love of Christ. For Jesus left the 99 to go save the one. And maybe God will use you in the way you live your life. The way you spend your money. Give your time and energy. So that when people see you, they begin to see him. And the power of the Holy Spirit, it may not be as obvious as you think. You may not even realize when he's working within you. Last year, Stephanie and I felt called by the Holy Spirit to enter into foster care. In October, we were, uh, we were placed with our first placement, an 11-month-old named Juan. And it was all sunshine and rainbows. No, no, it wasn't. Um, for the first month or two, he would scream in terror every time I walked in the room. I mean, he wouldn't let me touch him or hold him. I couldn't even like, touch Stephanie and give her a hug. He would just start screaming. And it hurt. It hurt. And he, he, had, he was sick. He had ear infection after ear infection. And Steph had to shuffle him from doctor's appointment to doctor's appointment to the pharmacy and giving him medicine. And one night in December, we were feeling physically, emotionally, spiritually exhausted. I mean, drained down to the core. Then we get a knock on the door. Of course, the kids love visitors. They go run to the door, see who it is. And we open it, 
And standing there is this group of our friends, this group of our church community. Dads, moms, gaggle of kids, all huddled up on our little doorstep. And they just start singing, we wish you a Merry Christmas. And they handed us sweet gifts for each member of our family. And it's hard to put into words the significance of that moment and what it meant to us. And I'm not sure if at that time they felt led by the Holy Spirit to go and do that. But I believe it was the power of God that moved them to be there for us in a time of desperate need. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that comforted us through his people. And in our moments of darkness, of pain, of sorrow, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. He speaks through us. He speaks within us. So I'll leave you with this this morning. Have you experienced, do you experience daily the Holy Spirit? And will you allow him to work in and through you? Brothers and sisters, the limitless, infinite power of God's Spirit is available to you. He has a message of redemption for you to pull you out of the darkness and into the light. He has a community of people waiting to love and serve you in your time of need. And he has people that need you and your unique gifts. So whatever your past relationship with God looks like, I want you to know this morning that he still loves you and he's radically pursuing you. You can't ignore, can't run from him. He's unstoppable. For one day, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Let that be day be today. Let's experience God within us. Let's live with the knowledge and the power that he will use us. The average Joe, the sinner. He will use us to tell the world about himself, to comfort the broken, to rescue the lost, to bring the dead back to life. If you will just surrender yourself to him, he will give you his strength, his courage, his boldness, and his love to share with the world. Please pray with me.